You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is the lovely Anna and Rick. How are you today, mates? Doing well today. Thank you, Paul. Absolutely fantastic. Lovely. Well, today we are elated to have an absolute legend as our guest. He is a vastly talented and remarkably innovative programmer, along with his wife, Roberta, whom together are the bloody pantheon of computer gaming. They created Sierra Online, the Elysian of the industry. Sierra's games have provided immeasurable happiness to countless people, such as my co-hosts, those listening, my father, myself, and now even my son. Uh, so it is truly an honor to welcome you, Mr. Ken Williams, to the show. How the bloody hell are you? Oh, very good. Thank you for having me. I'm just amazed that uh, people still remember Sierra 25 years later. It's uh, it's kind of a surprise to me. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we do more than remember. I think we a lot of us obsess <laughs> over it. Uh, Sierra honestly still costs me a bloody fortune because I'm always <laughs> on eBay trying to get the old boxes. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I know. I can't believe that phenomena, but uh, I'm impressed. Very nice. And it's funny you say that because uh, even now, like the people who grew up playing your games are now passing it on to future generations, having their kids play it. Uh, and, you know, kids are responding very well to it. So, you know, there will be future generations of uh, people who grew up with Sierra just as we did uh, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, very cool. Well, hopefully someday I'll have grandkids and I can introduce them to our old games. Mm -hmm. We keep hoping. But. Yeah, that would be lovely. It's it's quite, Sierra is quite a family tradition for me personally. As I, I grew up playing them uh, kind of on my father's lap and, and now my five-year-old son sits on my lap and plays, you know, Space Quest and Echo Quest and just, uh, I could go on and on, plays lots of titles with me. So it's it's really been a, quite a family thing. So Sierra is part of the family and... That's why I've got bloody throw pillows and t-shirts with the logo <laughs> on it and everything. <laughs> I think that that's such a true story for many of us. Uh, I, as well, sat on my father's knee and played Sierra games. I grew up with the games and now uh, my children also all play them. It's it's become a, a part of my household as the Sierra games are all displayed right in my living room on the uh, the big shelf. I look at them, I play them almost every day. And, you know, here I am, I'm in my 40s. So thank you, Ken. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, what can I tell you? Yeah. Well, I'm honored. Uh, do, you, do you miss it? Do you miss the games industry? Like, I know it's been a long time for you, and I know you're uh, uh, comfortably retired from it and kind of uh, left it behind. But is there anything you miss about it or... Uh, do you have any? Do you ever have that sort of um, that pullback? Well, I, I mean, obviously we miss it all. I mean, we think about it all the time, and I don't know. Several times we thought, would we ever build games again? But um, we've just been away from it too long. It's um, yeah, it's it, it, it's sad that uh, I mean, it was a great period in our life. It went for twenty years, and you know it. Um, yeah, I, I, it was just because I had, well, I don't know, I, I, I could do so much in those days. I mean, you could think about something or you'd see something cool in technology and you would think about, you know, I see this feature, what could I do with that? And, you know, Sierra had a big development group. We were um, almost all internally developed, so we had about 700 developers 
And with a group that big, you know, if I if I saw something, you know, a new sound card, a new graphic capability, um, I could go to the organization and say, let's go do something cool with that. And um, now, you know, you just feel so disconnected in the world from the world, like you have no influence anymore, and you can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's tough to go from uh, where you feel like you're really kind of building an industry to just being happily retired. You know, mm-hmm. being retired has its own uh, advantages, but uh, <laughs> there's nothing like running a uh, company like Sierra. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's kind of a company yeah. that you really couldn't run today, or at least uh, not necessarily you, but you just wouldn't see that today from anyone else because I know Sierra uh, really put that emphasis, you put that emphasis on you know, what isn't out there that we can create. You know, what are people not doing? Whereas, you know, the industry today is very much, what did everyone do that's successful? Let's do that. Right? Right. Yeah. I know. That is, uh, it was funny. In those days, I uh, refused to hire anybody from a competitor. Uh, liked the idea that CR was located up at Yosemite, that we were a long ways from any competitor. And because um, I wanted our people kind of not to be prejudiced by other people's products. And, you know, today I think a lot of the publishing companies are strictly publishers. They uh, work with outside development groups. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Sierra was kind of an unusual beast that was run uh, completely differently than I think today's companies are run. Mm-hmm. And it worked for us. You know, uh, well, plus the other thing that worked for us in those days was that we had our own programming language, our own way of doing things. And, um I know, it was kind of nice. Yeah, we, we, we did some very cool stuff. And, you know, as I look at the games industry today, I mean, the games do look better. But in mm-hmm. some ways, they seem uh, harder to get into and kind of, um, well, I don't know, not as um, not as easy to get into or have fun with as some of the older games, even mm-hmm. though they look way more amazing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the trouble that I have. Every time I go to play a new game, I, I just I want to break after about half an hour. And I, I want to go back to a game that I remember that I know the storyline of. I want to go back to King's Quest Four. I want to go back to Quest for Glory. Uh, wh- what about you, Ken? Is there a game that do you play computer games? Is there a game that you would want to go to? No, <laughs> you know, um, no, not, I, I just never seem to have fun. I mean, not, not, not I always have fun, but never have time. The, um, I, I, you know, in fact, even in the old days, I wasn't really a gamer. I enjoyed um, Leisure Suit Larry and Space mm-hmm. Quest because I loved the humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and then I, you know, I played a lot of chess. I would play, um, well, I'm trying to think what, I loved the incredible machine that we did. Mm, but yeah. uh, and I like pinball, and I would like uh, the flight sims, like the mm. uh, dynamics uh, Red Baron and Aces in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. But uh, these days, no, I just never seem to have time to play a game. Once in a while, I'll load one up just to see what the technology looks like. But um, that's about it. I um, you know I just installed Microsoft Flight Simulator, and it mm. took ninety five gigabytes to install <laughs> oh that God. thing. <laughs> And uh, so I started trying to run the tutorial and it, um, it really kind of takes over your machine. So um, I, yeah, I don't know. I'll probably try that. And that's about it. I'm not, yeah, I I guess surprisingly, I'm not much of a uh, gamer. I'm more of a, um, oh, well, technology for technology's sake. When we started Sierra, 
Um, my vision was more to compete with Microsoft, and it was based on doing a Fortran compiler. Mm-hmm. And then Roberta talked me into doing uh, Mystery House. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a game, and nobody cared about my compiler, and everybody loved her game. And <laughs> that kind of put us on a different direction. So. Mm-hmm. Well, even though you didn't end up competing directly with Bill Gates, you did uh, compete successfully against George Lucas. So that's that's still a huge win. <laughs> From what I what I recall, I think you guys pretty regularly outsold uh, the competitors, LucasArts. And that, that actually brings me to a question. Well, I guess two-part. Have you ever or have you recently revisited any of the Sierra games just for even five minutes, like a quick dose of nostalgia? And the other part of it is, despite saying that you didn't like your, your team to play the competitors' games, uh, since that time has now passed, did you ever go back and, and look at some of their games? Like, you know, I don't know, Monkey Island or something like that? Well, I would study the competitors' games. I remember, um, yeah, like seeing Loom and Monkey Island and some of those games, and uh, they scared the heck out of me because um, a lot of our revenue was coming from adventure games, and we kind of had that category to ourselves. And then when Mist came out and um, the LucasArts products, uh, the Indiana Jones, I mean, all that stuff, it was... Um, yeah, it was clear that uh, we were not going to have that category to ourselves. Even the Inficom products, I mean, their parsing was incredible. And mm-hmm. had they decided to do graphics instead of um, staring off into uh, business software, we'd have probably uh, been hurt badly by it because they did really good stuff, really, very creative. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, amazingly, as, as famous as we were for our adventure games, I was always trying to figure out what we could do in addition to that, just so that we didn't have all of our eggs in one basket. And um, well, products like EcoQuest or EchoQuest, however you pronounce it, um, and Dr. Brain, those were attempts to take our adventure game technology and use it in other kinds of products. Uh, the Realm, a uh, online um, multiplayer game. Uh, even uh, the Sierra Network was an attempt to use kind of our core technology to do something other than just... Uh, adventure games. And it worked. I mean, we, we, we did do a lot of revenue other than just adventure games. From what I heard about the uh, Sierra Network, too, you wanted it to be available to everybody. So you wanted connection between grandma and grandson and, and people that were a little bit further away. So it, it felt like you were trying to create a, a sense of community with it. Is that Did you feel that for the time that it was out there, uh, is that something you accomplished? Yeah, I, it, it's 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 hard to imagine now, but the Sierra Network, you know, the original name for the company was Online Systems, and that was because uh, prior to starting Sierra, I had been in Los Angeles doing, uh, I my specialty was coding for uh, lots of terminals connected to an IBM mainframe. And so when we started Sierra, there was no such thing as the internet. There weren't even modems yet, uh, mm-hmm. really, when we started Sierra. There were 300 baud um acoustic modems and there was no internet or nothing to kind of link all the computers together and uh, in 19 I don't remember what year 91 or something when we did um, the Sierra network we were still a couple of years prior to uh, the internet coming along maybe even four mm-hmm. years prior and uh, that started out of uh, the initial vision for it was to do uh, yeah, I, 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 my, my grandma was getting old at that time and was stuck home. 
And I was saying, you know, what if I could pick up or what if I could create something where she could pick up a card game 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, anytime she wanted. And um, the initial product was called the Constant Companion. Uh, and I went to um, a couple, well, a big hardware company, NEC and to Sprint and said uh, to Sprint, if you guys can provide a network um, backbone, the communications, and if NEC will give me the computers, then I'll go out to uh, a bunch of seniors and put computers in their homes and I'll write the software to uh, let them play games against each other. And uh, when we did that, I mean, we had all these seniors that were playing with each other who had never seen a computer or a, um, and nobody had seen a network. And uh, out of that grew the Sierra network, which had, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but because it was in those days, 1200 baud modems and 2400 baud modems. And we put the network together and um, suddenly had thousands of people doing flight simulators and, uh, we had kids games like boogers, we had flight sims, we had racing games, we had fantasy role-playing games, we had gambling games. I mean, it was it was very cool. And um, even um, on the card games, um, I think Bill Gates and Buffett were playing against each other on our bridge <laughs> games. Wow. And um, yeah, Gates called, uh, this was years before the internet, and said, can we buy the Sierra network? And uh, we wound up partnering it with AT&T but uh, it was, you know, definitely, you know, I look back on the Sierra days, just in terms of cool technology, um, to think how far ahead of the world we were at that point in time is pretty incredible. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that was then. You guys were always just one step ahead, you know, always looking for the next innovation and, and to be the the first, if you will, in, in something, whether it came to graphics in an adventure game or, or multimedia and things like that. I mean, I, I've even long just admired your creative thinking and, and how you kind of, uh, how you sort of, you were sneaking graphics into the high-res adventures, almost like a Trojan horse, you know, almost like uh, tricking the computer into displaying graphics. Um, <laughs> So it, it kind of makes me wonder, I mean, between, again, having so many firsts and in innovations and iconic best-selling titles, uh, continuously outselling your competitors, in, including the, the comfortably funded LucasArts, um, could you, could you tell us maybe what your, what you feel your greatest achievements were, perhaps personally and for Sierra as a company? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, just being number one in the business, I mean, we, at one time, it's, yeah, you know, it's hard for me to imagine how successful we were, and that, mm. I, and some of it was just by getting there first. I, you know, I, I guess I would like to claim that I was a genius, but um, there's a lot to be said for a very forgiving industry. You know, we were. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I was a what was I? Maybe a 25 year old kid in those days, mm. and uh, you know, made a lot of mistakes, and you know, partied way too much, mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, we were run pretty poorly in the early days, but we had uh, some, I guess, core beliefs, which was to uh, take really good care of customers. We always had a customer mm -hmm. um, satisfaction policy that uh, served us very well, and um, and, a, and a vision for always kind of leading the industry and being ahead of it. And um, well, and also, you know, are are using a our own language, which allowed us to adapt to new platforms faster than anybody else. Uh, because we were kind of mm -hmm. the first, uh, you know, today everybody has an engine when they do a game. 
But uh, the good news was that for us was that we had our own engine, that we owned it, we controlled it. We had internally, we were divided into a, uh, a compiler group and a tools group and an application coding group. And um, it allowed us to move fast. So, so I don't know. Yeah, there, there was, um, I was just looking at a list of all of Sierra's first. I mean, we were the first to support um, Oh, a lot of the fancy graphics cards, uh, the first to support sound cards. We kind of drove the sound card industry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of firsts. And it was, um, it's tough to see them now because, you know, you look at the old games and they look so prehistoric. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine what they look like at the time. But and the other thing that was, I guess, exciting for us is that I always... Um, one of our tougher competitors was always Electronic Arts. And um, at the time, we had an internal campaign saying we'd give 10 shares of stock to um, everybody in the company, even the extended um, contractors and everybody else, if we could just beat Electronic Arts. Mm. And we, we, we focused on that for like five years, and we finally took them and uh, nice. passed them on sales <laughs> numbers. And uh, that was a big deal for us. Yeah. But, um so, yeah, and then it all crashed and burned, which is the depressing part, but um, oh well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes after being really big, things can end really suddenly, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I consider the legacy from that 20 years to, to outlast sort of hopefully most of the uh, the negative feelings that are out there nowadays. Yeah. No, it was always, always when I would go to work, one of the things that I always told myself is that I wanted to build a company that would be around for my grandkids. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of what I did each day was to focus on how to put walls around Sierra so that um, the company would be defensible and would have a solid base. You know, I was always um, worried that we could take a hit in any one side and um, take the company under. And there's a lot of companies that we competed with in the early days that didn't make it. So a lot mm-hmm. of my uh, business strategy, I guess you'd say, was, you know, what do I got to do to um, kind of lock in Sierra? And then we sold the company. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had all those uh, blocks in pace, but when the new people bought it, they uh, ran it into the ground. Mm-hmm. And um, that's probably kind of the great frustration of my life is both the um, loss of all the uh, products that uh, would have still been around today and all of the, uh, you know, Sierra at the time had a thousand employees and Mm -hmm. all of them were hurt by the um, sale of the company. So that's, uh, that was kind of the depressing part of all of it. Yeah. And and, you just don't like to see something you work so hard on destroyed. No, and I guess it, it becomes a different kind of legacy then, I guess, instead of still creating in the same way people are still enjoying. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, at least the games are still there. I was just looking at a list of all the games, and I can't <laughs> believe it. Uh, yeah, there's one guy that was writing a book on all of the different product releases or something, and um, I was shocked by how much he had, and then I saw that that was only book one of four. So <laughs> it's... Um, yeah, we did a lot of products. We probably, I, I mean, I can't even imagine. We were doing something like 70 products a year and wow. um, in lots of different categories. And then there's all the, you know, we called them rollovers where you do a game and you suddenly have to do an Apple version and a Mac version and a Windows version. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, you wind up, well, then you do a French version, an Italian version, <laughs> a German version, an American version. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, there comes a lot of stuff happening in product development. But yeah, it, we were in different categories. So we had, you know, my goal was always to be um, a third of revenue in each of education, entertainment, and um, productivity. And we never really got there. You know, as far as just looking at the stats for the uh, last year of the company, and we were still probably uh, 75% games. And of that game revenue, over half was uh, in the adventure game category. You know, probably the last big adventure game that I did was uh, Phantasmagoria. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. that, that was a big hit. That, that sold a million copies. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. production on that game. Yeah. I mean, so much work put into it. It was like it was, it was more of a movie than a movie was. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was funny. I was talking to Roberta and... Um, I made the comment that the script was longer for um, Phantasmagoria than most movies. And she said, well, let me think about it. And she said, oh, yeah, it was like six volumes or something like that, whereas a movie might be. Yeah, because, you know, in a a movie, you know, everything, all the dialogue is over in 90 minutes. And she had to film everything. So, um, yeah, those were cool days when uh, you could want to do something like that and build a studio and. And I, you know, I don't know if anybody's doing games like that anymore, or if they are, if they've got the same focus on interactivity. You mm-hmm. know, for us, it was, um, yeah, in fact, I never grew comfortable with speech in games, because when you're playing the game, you, you mm-hmm. never like to sit still. You always kind of like to, uh, I don't know, be in control. And mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if a character's doing, you know, a, a two paragraphs of text, then you're stuck staring at your screen when really you want to be able to uh, do something, make mm-hmm. something happen. Uh, just a quick follow-up on, on Phantasmagoria. I, I'm kind of curious because sure. I, I, I believe the, the, the budget, from what I recall, kind of skyrocketed past expectations. And I was wondering I was wondering kind of how nervous you may or may not have gotten during that time when you saw the budget, you know, just crawling and crawling. Obviously, the game in hindsight was, was a smash success and, and, you know, not for naught. But I was just curious if, if that had made you nervous and, and actually more so uh, just a quick thought on what it was like to visit the set of that game or, or even Gabriel Knight 2, like the, the set of those live action games. Yeah, it, you know, I don't remember the budget particularly freaking me out because, um, and it was big, I think. You know, for those days, I, I think it was around five or six million, wow. which uh, was a lot of money even for us. Mm-hmm. But um, what was worrying me was the um, uh, disk space. You know, we, we were going to put it on CD-ROM, but pretty quickly we realized it wasn't going to fit on one CD-ROM. And then we realized it wouldn't fit on two and mm-hmm. then not on three and not on four. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we ultimately shipped it on seven CD-ROMs. Mm-hmm. And that creates problems in that um, you know, when somebody's playing the game, they want to be able to wander through the world. And how do they do that by constantly having to swap CDs? And um, yeah, I mean, today you'd probably install the whole thing on a hard drive, but that wasn't how it was working in those days. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so the budgeted uh, disk space was uh, freaking me out. And also the loss in quality uh, because we were filming it at... Um, you know, full film quality, but in order to get it to fit on the CDs, we were shrinking it to um, mm-hmm. horrible resolution, like a screen, I think a target screen in those days was like 800 by 600. Wow. And yeah, um, yeah and it was just such a loss in quality. Even the audio, um, well, and then we goofed. The um, 
we were we were rookies at doing all this, and uh, if you listen to that game, a lot of the sound is real echoey, mm-hmm. and uh, we had to um, go back and do a voiceover to uh, dub a lot of the voice, which kind of really hurt things. But uh, mm-hmm. but it was cool, and and you know I never visited the set for Phantas. Uh, I did for Gabriel Knight, and that that one was. Um, uh, different in that they actually uh, took a big building and built a physical set inside the building. So it really was like the way a film would be done where, yeah, we had rooms with no ceilings and cameras hanging down over the walls. And that that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just to speak on, on how, how big Sierra's legacy really is, is, is Dean Erickson who, who starred as Gabriel Knight. I mean, even he has a, a large fan base on Facebook, for example, <laughs> just, just for being the guy in Gabriel Knight. So it just goes to show how, how, you know, how much impact these games had. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was, it was definitely, I, I don't know. I mean, somebody's got to be doing stuff like that these days, but I don't know. I haven't really tracked the industry. We, um, after Sierra, Roberta and I, we were, we were kind of burnt out on the business. 20 years will, um, um, yeah, I was definitely ready to try something new by the end. Roberta wasn't. I mean, she would have, she would have kept going forever and ever and ever. She was mm-hmm. having a lot of fun building the games and uh, sorry to see it end. But the problem was that um, with that many games going and trying to, um, trying to build the games. I was spending all of my time on airplanes flying from studio to studio. One of my uh, rules was that I didn't want more than 100 people in any one place because I thought creativity would go away. Mm-hmm. So we had, well, I don't know how many studios, like 12 different small studios scattered all over the world. And I would have to, um, I would. it would take me a solid month to go around and look at each of the games mm-hmm. out of every three months. And then I would start the process again. So it was uh, it was a project. I was sick of riding on airplanes by the end. <laughs> but, uh, but we did cool things. And yeah. so that made it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And speaking of um, fan followings, uh, if, if it would please you and Roberta to know, uh, Cedric from King's Quest V has a very strong following to this day. In fact, uh, <laughs> has had a bit of a revival in which uh, there are some posters on Facebook who are absolutely obsessed and make posts like every day honoring Cedric oh. the Owl from King's Quest V. All right, she's uh, she's actually in the other room talking to a friend of hers. But oh. uh, <laughs> I might try to go twist her arm to come in for five minutes or something. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, do you want to take a break, and I'll uh, go see if I can talk her into just doing a few sure. Minutes? Yeah, gotta be just okay. Done. Hang on, I'll see what she's doing. Like, hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Roberta, how are you? Hey. Uh, pretty good. A little surprised. Oh, my God. Speaking of surprises. I didn't know Ken was talking to you. No. Yeah. Oh, man. It, yeah. This is such an honor to, to speak with you. Well, well, thank you very much. It's it's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a tremendous honor. I, w- I was just calming my nerves down speaking with your lovely husband, and now my nerves oh. have gone through the roof again. <laughs> Well, well, uh, we'll just we'll slow down. Just take a deep breath. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Okay. I'll try. All right, we're good. All right. How are you doing these days? I'm just doing fine. Oh, uh, I am uh, writing a book. Oh wow! That's what That's I'm exactly. doing. But it's not a book about computer games. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with it, and and it's not. It it, it probably is not anything that would uh, 
be all that exciting to to most people but well, it's, what, what is it about, though well i got into genealogy Ooh. and my mom is irish and so i got started looking in the irish side of my family and uh and did a lot of research so um i i wrote a book on the uh the irish immigration to the united states start you know from the great famine and um using my family as main characters principal characters uh i did a lot of research found out a lot of really good stuff and um so I, it's kind of a book written as a novel sort mm -hmm. of fictionalized in many many ways but using my family as characters set into the the real time era of the uh, of of the country of Ireland back before the the famine, and setting in what happened to them way back to medieval England and 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 on up. So it's it's sort of it's it's kind of like a historical novel, I guess you could say, it's a mm -hmm. historical novel. But using characters, dialogue, acts, you know, um, emotions, um, uh, scenes, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, hopefully emotional scenes, um, all the way to immigrating to America and ha going through the Great Famine and some some characters, people dying, and it's not fun. And uh, but set within historical times, that's what oh, that sounds. That sounds well, amazing. It's different. <laughs> Being creative and coming up with uh, stories and bringing life into characters is something is, as far as my experience goes, you've done uh, always. So I'm really looking forward to this. You've got me all a flutter about it. Oh, that's well, right. Um, well, I mean, it's, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I worked on computer game, adventure games, but mm -hmm. it's not the same. That, uh, that's the, one of the things I wanted to do was to see if I could write a book. Mm -hmm. And uh, but but a book that was more novelized, where you have characters and and dialogue and story, like any story that mm -hmm. uh, you know has climax and you know builds and climax and then and and then what happened and then what happened and then what happened, and but never actually ever wrote a, an actual book, right. which is way way different than an than an adventure game as you can imagine, mm -hmm. and so I think I bit off a lot. <laughs> to, to you know to do something like this to to do genealogy find out all the ins and outs of this family and I interviewed people in Ireland England and all over the United States that were part of the family of anything they knew anything any stories and especially if there were skeletons in the closet mm -hmm. you know I wanted that yeah you want it juicy you know you want <laughs> yeah. it juicy as you can get <laughs> And uh, and just lots of facts, but but yet it's not a it's not something that is for, um, just people in my family at all. I mean, I wanted to write it as if you if you have any interest in history at all, and you're just interested in I Irish history, mm -hmm. especially what mm -hmm. happened in the famine and why so many Irish immigrated to America. This would tell you why. So Amazing. I bit off a lot. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really glad that you're you're making you're writing that book because I, I think a, a lot of us that fell in love with your games, it, it's really about the the storytelling that you're mm -hmm. able to present. You're a magnificent storyteller, and and I think uh, maybe the a perk to writing a book instead of a game is you don't have to give the characters like six responses for each scenario. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. I yeah. get to write linearly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get to write an actual. Although even, but I always seem to set myself up for uh, for challenges. 
mm-hmm. because uh, you know, rather than just sitting down and writing a plain old story, I have to I have to write a story. My very first one that is based upon real people. And when you are, and this is one of the things I learned about writing historical novels is, uh, I mean, it'd be as if you're going to write a story about uh, Henry VIII, you know, a lot of people have written about him and his wife, you know, Henry VIII and the Tudors and that kind of thing. And television series and everything been written about him. But, and you can certainly fictionalize it and, and you have to. And you bring in other characters and you have to add dialogue and you have to make them say things and do things that you have no idea that they did it. <laughs> but you 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 do it for the story, the story uh, reasons. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you have to make it interesting or people aren't going to want to know. Mm-hmm. But still in all, you still have to stay within uh, context of, of real of, of, of history or what they actually did do. They did do this, or they experienced that, but and, they, and this thing over here. But within that, you get to kind of develop the characters and add add more to it, and more context and more story of your own um, making, mm-hmm. just to make it interesting. So that's that's what I've I've done. Well, your storytelling um, definitely. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much you're aware of this. Obviously, you know the impact you've had on the gaming industry, but I'm not sure if you had quite the full awareness of like the impact you've had on a lot of people's lives. Like we were just saying to Ken about how people who grew up with your games are now passing it on to their children and uh, having them play your games. And there are like um, uh, there are huge fan bases for Cedric from King's Quest V or the actor oh. from uh, Phantasmagoria. And it just mm-hmm. lives on so strong even to this day and will be passed on for future generations. It's just, it's, um, you know, in, in case you didn't know, you probably should that this, your your games, your work, uh, everything is really, uh, has resonated with the entire generation of us mm-hmm. and future well, generations I- to come. I- I am honored that you're saying that. I'm an unhumbled, honestly. You know, I am. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, when I when you look at the resolution of the old games, you know, in comparison <laughs> to today, that anybody would want to play them. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'll take your word. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I can, I can say for, for a fact, I played King's Quest with my father when I was about five, and mm-hmm. my five-year-old son has been playing King's Quest with me just this very week. So it's really, a, it's really become a family tradition now that's being passed around all, all well, because of great. what you created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think, though, since he's so young you're, and, and probably isn't as aware of all you know, the, the super high-res 3D, you know, flying cameras yeah. and, you know, 3D worlds and all that that exist with uh, computer games and video games now. He doesn't know yet, perhaps, because he's <laughs> yeah. too young. So maybe it's good that you get him involved while he's still young before mm-hmm. he gets, uh, what's the word I look for, you know, kind of uh, ruined by all those good graphics. <laughs> then right, try to yeah. go back and see the old graphics. Well, there is something that really captures the uh, imagination of the old graphics. Like there are a lot of uh, independent developers now who are following in the footsteps of Sierra and LucasArts Adventure Games. They go back to are the they? pixel art. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's really? a, a section of uh, independent uh, game developers who are uh, who are really um, basically mimicking that style, that throwback style. Mm-hmm. Huh? And do you know why they're doing that? 
because they love Sierra and LucasArts so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we want to we want to see these games. You know, we're we're mm. really interested as fans too. So yeah. there is there is yeah. a market out there. Because mm. yeah, because it, it might not be like the billion dollar market these days, but there are still a lot of us fans who are still chomping at the bit because we grew up and we want more of the mm-hmm. adventure games. And we just, you know, it's something which obviously w- once Sierra went away, there's always been uh, the people who just want more, who really want, who really vie for those old days of like the pixel art and the, um, and the mm. more imaginative uh, storytelling more so than just like the uh, photorealistic guns blazing kind of games. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, well, I have a question for you then. Um, so why do you think that these types of games that you say are still quite an audience for it and people are kind of going back and doing them again, but they still have more the old look? That's the way I, I'm getting that from you, that it's they mm-hmm. still have that kind of that old look. Why has nobody done uh, an adventure games, say, like we used to do or what they're going back and doing now? Um, but but really updated art and updated maybe using 3D or something. Why why is nobody doing that? But yet it's an adventure game in the old style. Mm-hmm. Do you um, know why? Yeah. Well, it's a good question. I, I think there's there is a, a decent amount of them that that do try and use the, the more modern graphics. But I think it comes down to it's more indie studios that are making these games, so mm-hmm. it's it's easier for them to make a magnificently. Uh-huh beautiful pixel art game whereas the yeah. tools they might have for a 3d engine are, are a little the, you know what the indie has available compared to the triple a titles yeah. it's, it's a little farther so, behind yeah so yeah the and, big and also just the nostalgia was well so the, it sounds to me so the big companies who that have more money um don't want to put the money into it um probably because they probably don't believe in in the uh in in that style of game that they're mm-hmm. just probably don't think that it is could have that big of an audience. I disagree. Um, but mm-hmm. that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it never went away. You know, the adventure fans, I think the big companies want to make just ridiculous amounts of money instead of just make money. Cause they, you know, they <laughs> yeah. definitely do all right with, with adventure games for sure. We're still, you know, we're still here and, yeah. and, and, and wanting it. Yeah. That's funny. Um, because, yeah, you know, I really, one of the things I wanted to do before, we sold Sierra was to, um, to see, I mean, cause I, I could tell toward the end when we sold Sierra, um, that the adventure game genre was going to run into some problems or issues. I, I could see the, the future where the gaming was going. It was, it was beginning to go the direction we all know it's gone. And mm. I, I could see that. But I I kept thinking that I could figure out how to make that not happen. Right. Um, using 3D. It, it didn't happen with King's Quest VIII, uh, Mask of Eternity, because it, I, I wasn't able to to work on it correctly and, and get it done. And then we sold the company. Uh, but I really, really did want to set the challenge up for myself to figure out how to bring it up into the 21st century uh, adventure gaming in a much more immersive 3D worlds. Um, but I never got the chance. You know, we sold the company and that was that. And I'm not saying that I'm the only one, you know, that could do it, but because of, of Sierra and that would have been behind me 
to make it happen. Um, we could have done that. But whereas it, it sounds like other companies that have more money and the means to do it just don't want to do it. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. that somebody couldn't. <laughs> and that ends up leaving me wandering around in the uh, video store uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s saying, where's a game for me? And then, you know what, I'd come back home and I'd load up King's Quest 4 and just feel happier playing that than anything else that was coming. Well, out. I appreciate that. I really, I really do. I really appreciate that. So I miss it too. Really, I do. <laughs> you're not, you're not alone. I do. I miss it a lot. Well, if you ever, if you can ever be peer pressured into it, we'd love for you to come back and make us a like a boat quest where the goal is you have to get your, yeah. you have to get your dogs a passport, you know, something like that. Yeah, no, I think unfortunately we all have to look for the, you know, somebody who are, who is still who is working on them these days, that's just going to break through somehow, and uh, and that maybe can somehow convince th these. Uh, Give me, give me the name of a company that you think could afford to and would be the best company that might want to put their, their means and resources into a, you know, an adventure game. Whatever that company is uh, that maybe could take this game designer that seems to have you know, the, the, the talent to do it and give them a chance to see what they can do and bring it you know, up to what we all think that we'd like to see graphically with animations but yet is still that same game mm -hmm. that yeah. i think i think that there is a game out there and a person if there is a company that is willing to to do it and give mm -hmm. them the means to do it actually uh, roberta while we have you here um yeah. what was your opinion of the uh, rebooted king's quest games you know i have to admit that i just played the first one mm-hmm and then I never, I never went on and played the rest of it. But I enjoyed what I saw. Mm -hmm. But it, it just, it wasn't, it still just wasn't exactly it. And I just couldn't tell you exactly why. Right. Yeah. I, just, I can't put my finger on it. And, and it's been a while since I've done that. It's been a couple of years, several years, like five years, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I can't right now analyze it for you. But it was they were they were close. I think they did as good as you could do with someone else's game, like, mm -hmm. you know, my game, and to try to say what what would Roberta have done if if it was if if we were her, and to try to figure that out. I think they did a, a really good job um, with what they had, and um, and and they gave it a really good go. Mm -hmm. But. Um, I still don't think they quite hit what today's modern players uh, would want, and I don't right. know why. I can't. I can't analyze that for you. Did, what do you think? Um, I myself only, uh, as well, only really played the first one. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been sitting on my wish list for the longest time. <laughs> uh, but I, I just know from the uh, classic gamers guild community and just uh, and other uh, Sierra groups around the internet i just see that it is it's a bit polarizing like people either love it or they're pretty disappointed in it um so it's kind of this ongoing debate as to um yeah you know the, the two different camps well the fact that i didn't go on and play it might maybe say something <laughs> you know about right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it just it, it it sort of missed it for me a little bit um I, yeah. but i i think they gave it a really good try mm -hmm. it's not easy 
no. to take up somebody else's work and and try to go on with it. And I really wanted them to. And I I wanted I wanted it to do well. I didn't think it did decent, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It did decently well, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um but yeah, I it, it didn't there was something. I, but I don't want to I definitely don't want to complain at all or I was I'm very happy and proud that they that they they tried and they did they did the best they could given all the circumstances. A uh, quick question from uh, me, if you don't mind. When you were working uh, with uh, Phantasmagoria, did you spend uh, a lot of time on the set? Were you kind of micromanaging oh, yeah. what was going on day to day? I'm just imagining oh, yeah. you were you were such a huge part of it. Oh yeah, I was there every second. Um, <laughs> it. Um, I mean, I was obviously there from the very very beginning. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just found. Uh, I was looking through some old photographs, and one of our our we have drawers of old family photographs and photo, photographs of different things. And I found a pad of paper in there and I said, well, what is this? You know, and I started reading it. Oh, it was a lot of my old notes that I was taking before I even wrote Phantasmagoria. It was just all wow. my notes on what was scary. And um, I had some other ideas for other scary idea games and, and what they were. And, and um, so and and just my notes from just what is scary? What makes me scared? Mm-hmm. What would be a good storyline? And and I had all those notes from it. So and that was several years before I even sat down and, and wrote it. And then writing the game, um, huge, huge script mm-hmm. and uh and working very, very closely with our art director was just phenomenal. His name is Andy Hoyos. And just phenomenal, and I worked really close with him on all the art, and, and uh, with Mark Siebert on the actors and finding the actors and uh, director. We needed a movie director, somebody who actually directed movies and actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that mm-hmm. was not me or anybody at Sierra to do that. We've directed voice actors, but not actor actors, mm-hmm. um, and and just. We built a studio, and I had to uh, figure out the the interface, how we were going to do that with with um, actors, and, and and we needed to make it. I wanted to make the game a little easier to play. I didn't want to make it too difficult because I figured with actors, it might bring in more uh, other people, people that no, don't normally play computer games and and in those days we called them computer games mm-hmm, um, and uh that would not normally play a computer game but because we were using actors and that the that the graphics were going to be more realistic um back for back then mm-hmm. uh that it would bring in people who were not necessarily computer game players but, but because it had movie aspects i figured it would bring in regular people Mm-hmm. And so the the interface had to be easy, easy to handle, easy to do. And so I'd work on that and figure out what that was. But then one of the big challenges was uh, it, it's not a movie. It's not a script. <laughs> but with actors, you're obviously going to have scenes that, you ha- that you're going to film. They had to be short, and very short and sweet. Um, but then using an actor, you we had to figure out how to how to do breakdown we used to call them animations 
mm-hmm. is still an animation. But if you if you are filming an actor or actress doing something, sitting down in a chair, or picking something up, or walking, or uh, running, or whatever whatever in this case she is doing, you, you have to cut it up into short little snippets so that you can put it all over in a game that's interactive. Um, so that it feels more like what it might have felt like in playing King's Quest as much as possible, mm-hmm. but yet you're using a, an actor to do that, and that and trying to figure out how you do that and, and make it come out and feel more like a a game rather than a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that was that took a lot of thought and, and to figure that out. So I had to be there every second in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat I sat in the chair right next to the director. And with the actors, every minute, every every scene, and, uh, and just to say it can only be like this because we're not shooting a movie. I just kept saying to the director, "We're not shooting a movie. This is not a movie. Right. This is a game. <laughs> this is a game. This is a game. This is a game. This is a game." And uh, so they understood this is not a movie, and and everything is very short, very short, and uh, so that so that. If a player decided to do one thing versus another, then they they got to be we got to be able to do that right. and just change over and and immediately to something different that she's doing and it's got to be immediate and it has to be as seamless as possible and um, and yeah so I was there until the very very end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was it was genuinely trailblazing. You, and you using know, kind of- blue screen. So, uh, we had yeah. to inter, inter, interlay, um, interleave, uh, or interlay, I guess you'd say, actors over and onto a, uh, a 3D rendered set. Wow. It, the whole set was, was rendered in, entirely in 3D from top to bottom. And so we could move our camera angles whichever way we wanted. We, we just, we, um, if, if a scene was going to happen at a certain camera angle, we had it. We put it, we put it up there, but we had to interlay her or whatever other actors onto that, and they were interacting in the three D world. So if they sat on a on an artistic three D chair that didn't exist in reality, it just existed on the as a picture on your screen, and she had to sit in it, or another character had to sit in that chair. She had to really sit <laughs> on something. And it, but it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be that actual chair you saw in in the oh. on the computer screen. But she had to sit on something, and so she would sit on a on a a blue box mm-hmm. <laughs> that was set exactly where the chair is in the picture. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So when whenever the actors were acting, we would see we would in the studio we would see the picture of the the angle of the 3D scene that we were using for that particular, whatever she's doing, uh, say she's going to sit in the chair in the uh, in the kitchen. She's going to sit in the chair in the kitchen. And so we would see the, the angle of the 3D kitchen on one, on a monitor. And then we had another monitor next to it that showed the same scene, but it was all blue. It was, everything was blue. Mm-hmm. And so we would have to place a blue box and we could, you know, we would have, we had people that were setting up our blue screen, everything. And so we would have somebody take the blue box and place it in 
our background blue screen. We had another camera on a whole blue black background of plywood, painted blue, and walk in with a box. And we would see them on one screen walking in, holding a blue box, walking into the scene. <laughs> and we would see them then, though, walking into the 3D rendered kitchen at the cool. same time. And we'd say, they'd say, where do you want us to place the box? <laughs> <laughs> and we'd say, uh, over to your left a little bit. Go over, walk over a step. Right there. No, no, that's not quite. And we're, and we're, because we're watching them placing the box both in reality on against a blue background over here. Everything's blue. But we're also watching. We could see them in the picture, the, the 3D render uh, kitchen scene. And we we could see and because they're patting the top of it, so we could see where they're trying to play. We couldn't see it though because it disappears. <laughs> couldn't see a blue box in the three D yeah. rendered. They had to. That's right. <laughs> we had to, you know, they had to move it around, and and then they would sit on the blue box over here, and then we'd have to see if they're sitting on the chair because we couldn't see the box. And they'd say, no, 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 you're not sitting on the chair. You know, you're like sitting in air over here, you know, get to move it over. And then they had to keep moving it around until there it is. You got it. You've got it. So if you see her sitting down in a chair in a, in the screen, in the scene, you know how we did it. Mm -hmm. And that was true for everything that where she interacted with anything mm -hmm. that we had to set up, you know, we had to set up blue plywood or and then cut holes in it if there's going to be a sink if it's in the bathroom we had to cut holes in it and um and and then if she had to set something down on the on the uh, on the counter next to the sink in a bathroom like a brush she had to really set it there um mm -hmm. and and she was and we'd put a mirror in the you know in a we'd have a blue screen and we put the mirror for the bathroom in in and among a blue screen plywood thing with a plywood blue countertop it was uh we did a lot of stuff like that mm -hmm. so it took us about four months wow of, seven, of six days a week wow. um, we only took off sundays right. um six days a week of shooting for all and long days 12 hour yeah. days four yeah. months to shoot everything we needed to do you must have been really sick of the color blue by the end of that experience <laughs> It was it was one of the most interesting experiences of my life. Mm -hmm. It still fascinates the fans to this day. Uh, I mean, we're going to be interviewing David Holm at uh, later on on this uh, podcast on another episode. I mean, there are so many fans. Oh, he'll still tell you all game. about the blue screen. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gosh, he'll tell yeah. you the same thing. You know how we had to do it. It was yeah. uh, it was really really. I enjoy I enjoyed it so much. Mm -hmm. I, I know, uh, so you're working on a book and Ken is working on his book as well. Uh, have yeah. you had time and have you had a chance to read The Sierra Adventure by Sean Mills? I looked at it. Uh, mm -hmm. We have it. And I, I uh, leafed through it. Okay. I'm sorry that I say that I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I, I, it's, it's not a secret that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not easy to get for uh, an interview. And this mm -hmm. just happened because he came in and he lassoed me and just dragged <laughs> me in. Uh, so, uh, but actually, once you set me down, I'm pretty good about talking, but. Um, mm -hmm. We really appreciate that. But I nor I probably would have said no. 
So I, I just, I really, and the reason why is because I, I just feel like I did that and, and on, to, I'm, I'm, I'm a very forward thinking person. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking ahead. I, I, I tell everybody I know and others and everybody else that I always feel like I'm never quite in the present. I always think I'm, I'm always about six months ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way I am. I've always, I'm, everything in my life is planned way ahead. I'm always thinking what, you know, God, what am I going to do next year? I've got all, everything's all planned out and what I want to do and different projects that I'm working on. And we, we did our circumnavigating around the world and we did that and just, and, um, and then writing and then getting in the genealogy and then just writing this other book. And so I'm always thinking about, new things, mm-hmm. other things that I want to do. And, and so going back seems to me kind of not me, I guess you could say. And, yeah, fair and enough. So I, I, I will do it. I will do it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm always thinking of something new. I of guess course, it's yeah. the best way of putting it. I don't know how else to say it. No, of course. And that, that that's what made, uh, that's what made you and Ken and Sierra uh, what it is because you're always thinking yeah. ahead, right? Yeah. Um, could be, yeah. yeah you so. had a lot of a lot of firsts and a lot of innovations. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so, very much. Yeah. <laughs> From crossing the Atlantic to going to Croatia, Turkey, and Japan. I mean, you did all of that, but I think first you you traveled the world with the games. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> well, oh, you mean in, in in the games? You mean? Well, or I mean, with, y- traveling. When I was yeah, doing games or. Exactly. When you were making games and playing the games, I mean, yeah. the games were set in our world and all different worlds. And then afterwards, yes. it's just great to me that you actually got to travel the world and, and go yeah. to real places. It seems like a natural flow to me. Well, yeah, yeah, I always wanted to travel. I mean, that from the time I was a little kid and just I always wanted to travel. And I used to my parents used to go every summer we had a my dad a couple weeks vacation from his job and we'd get in the car and go somewhere and I was always so excited to go wherever we went you know even if it was just to Yosemite National Park or or uh you know to Glacier National Park in Montana or wherever we we went I was always excited to travel but I wanted to travel really far and and we never did with my parents but that was what I wanted to do uh but yeah so travel has always been a thing for me and uh, just experiencing adventure. I just like to be out there and do mm-hmm. and see and experience. And that's just the way I am. And it, oh, wow. and it comes out in the games, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, could you let me know what your favorite game is that you created and your favorite game from Sierra that wasn't yours? The favorite game? Well, that's so hard to answer because there's favorites <laughs> in different ways. I enjoyed doing Phantasmagoria more than any of the other games. Just it was so challenging. I, I like challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I really I like I like challenges. And so if something is a real big challenge for me, I always enjoy it more. Uh, sorry about my dogs. Oh no That's problem. Okay. <laughs> what are their names? Uh, yeah. Oh that that one was Keely. Keely? <laughs> yeah, Keely. The other nice. one is She's being more. She's being a little quieter. Uh, the other one's Tundra. Tundra. Aww. But Aww. anyway, um, no, I've always liked challenges, and and Phantasmagoria was a big challenge, and and I really enjoyed doing it. So, 
that one was a favorite. Um, King's Quest, of course, is his favorite because it, of it's what it was the big, you know, the big hit and what everybody loves and, and everything. And, and it, and it, it came from my childhood and, and all of that. So that's a favorite. And then I actually enjoyed, um, the Colonel's Bequest with, Colonel's Bequest. I, I really yeah. wanted to do a Laura, I wanted to start a Laura Bow series, but huh. it, it never really happened. I did the first one and then Bruce Balfour did the second one. And then for some reason, it just never went on, and and I uh, got you know into other other games, you know, saying mm-hmm. do this one or do that one, and so. Um, well, Colonel's Bequest really is definitely on. a big favorite of mine. It was uh, yeah. I actually uh, it really influenced me a lot when I uh, was younger in school. The Colonel's uh, Bequest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. good. I, I, yeah, you don't hear too many people that that played that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I oh, enjoyed yeah. doing it. And a, a good friend of ours, uh, Julia Minamata, she's making a game called The Crimson Diamond, which is very inspired by uh, the Colonel's Bequest art style and story. Ah. Including the text mm-hmm. parser part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, So I would say those three uh, I enjoyed the most. Um, mm-hmm. But among those three, they, each of them I enjoyed for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess if I had to say which one did I enjoy the most, I would say Phantasmagoria. <laughs> There's the other one. There's that's true. <laughs> so, oh, and oh, and then you said, and then of of uh, others that I did not write. I would probably say Space Quest. Yeah, yeah. nice, good answer. Yeah. I really, I I think I played every one of those. Yeah, nice. Which is funny and cute, and yeah, I really like, uh, and I really like like the two guys. So I would, yeah. I would say that. That's just my personal. Oh, for sure. Preference. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's such an amazing pleasure to get to talk to you. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, and, and an honor. <laughs> no, well, it's I'm humbled, okay? I'm very humbled, <laughs> and thank you very much for uh, for the – actually, very good questions. So, mm-hmm. well, thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. Well, I will say that the uh, on behalf of the Classic Gamers Guild and everyone in it, uh, I'm sure everyone wants you to know how much your games have uh, touched their lives and will continue to touch the lives of their future generations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. So, well, have a good rest of your day. Thank you very and, much. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll, um, well, you never know. We may talk again. I hope so. <laughs> that would be I great. absolutely mm-hmm. hope so. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, it's good that you were able to get Roberta. That's going to be kind of a coup because she doesn't do these things. Yeah. Oh, no. I, that was the last thing I was expecting to happen, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. I've been staring at her picture on the back of boxes like my whole life. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so thank you for that. Uh, so you are working on a book of your own. Not all fairy tales have happy endings. That's uh, correct. And, and is that still slated for the October release? Is that uh, how, how are you coming along with that? Um, I think it's done. I'm, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I got some people correcting spelling on it mm-hmm. and, um, that's about it. That, um, yeah, it turned out different than I started because, um, well, just because of me, I guess it turned <laughs> out because yeah, I'm, uh, so it's more, you know, the, when, when my perspective on CR was better, different than everybody else's because I was more of the, um, I hate to say corporate bureaucrat, but I was, um, I was kind of above it figuring out strategy and product mm-hmm. strategy and branding strategy and figuring out how to get, pay the bills. 
Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think what people really want in a book about Sierra is the products and the designers. So people may be disappointed. It depends, I guess, on um, it will certainly be a, a view into Sierra that um, uh, no other book has. And there's been a lot written mm-hmm. about Sierra. It's more about um, managing Sierra and how to motivate creative people, how to stop writer's block. Mm-hmm. Um Tips for people that are developing games, how to break into the game industry. Um, talks a little about the uh, disaster that occurred when we went to sell the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, talks about me and Roberta as kids and how we met and did all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah, we've been married now for um, more than most, <laughs> longer than most people have been alive, I think. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> 47 years. Wow. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that, uh, yeah, I wrote a book, and anybody that's uh, once notified when it comes out can go to kensbook.com, K-E-N-S-B-O-O-K.com, and sign up, and I'll send an email when the book's ready, which hopefully is going to be uh, beginning of October. So That's kind of what um, really interests me the most about it is because it is from your perspective. Like, no one really talks mm-hmm. about uh, the business side so much as the creative mm-hmm. side, or if they do talk about business, they talk about like sort of the, um, uh, the later moments of it, but they don't really talk about like the, uh, business growth and direction of Sierra from like start to finish. Yeah. There, there's so. some fun stuff in there. There's all mm-hmm. the, um, signing up half life and meeting with the id software guys, which was kind of fun mm-hmm. and some, um, Oh, hidden stuff like working with John Travolta on a, uh, exercise program or, <laughs> Um, I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. but meetings with Bill Gates and I don't know, some, a lot of great, uh, some stuff with Jobs and Wozniak. So there's a, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I already asked Roberta this, but um, I know you've contributed a bit of story to the uh, Sierra Adventure by Sean Mills. Have you had a chance to read through the book yet? Yep, I read the whole book. I mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I read it kind of at one seating. I, I stayed up uh, most of the night reading it. It was kind of fun. I don't know how fun it would be for people that weren't there. You know, in some ways, it's um, it's the book I wish I could have written, but it would require. I can't imagine how much research he did. He must have mm-hmm. called oh, yeah. yeah. a hundred people and taken a year of his life. Whereas for my book, I just kind of wrote what I remembered mm-hmm. and <laughs> uh, didn't do a lot of research. So I, um, yeah, no, impressive book. Mm-hmm. Glad to hear you feel that way. It was a uh, it was a fun book to read for me. So I I was just putting aside quotes of my favorite parts of the book, and then I realized I've quoted pretty much the whole book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, recommending it almost in every interview because uh, you know it's the book I wish I could have written. It, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I mm-hmm. loved it. It was a chance to uh, I don't know kind of get to uh, uh, remember. I guess mm-hmm. all of those people who I'd long forgotten. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Those that, were pretty good days. Mm-hmm. Now, that all said, uh, were there any uh, stories in the book that you felt were quite different from how you saw it through your perspective? Hmm. No. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I nothing stands out. I remember okay. it. I, it um, no, no, I had. Yeah, there was a lot of that I didn't know because, yeah, I, I mean, I hate to say I was in an ivory mm-hmm. tower, except for mm-hmm. I kind of was. And that even, you know, other than the early days, you know, when Sierra started getting big, it wasn't, I, I was always jealous of our developers. 
you know, mm-hmm. more than anything, I think um, what I wanted after Sierra was to be able to go back and write code. It, um, you know, it's frustrating to show up for a meeting and have somebody showing you their game and they're all excited about it and you have to be kind of the uh, corporate idiot looking at their game <laughs> and uh, thinking you understand their game in 15 minutes, you know, whereas, um, yeah, it's a lot more fun in the trenches building games than it is, um, you know, paying the bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it was fun. It was a chance to see the side of Sierra that I never got to see other than in the very, very early days. Mm-hmm. Were there any uh, big surprises for you reading the book? No, only that um, there was no controversy. <laughs> I was reading the whole thing thinking, gosh, I hope they didn't talk about uh, any of this stuff. And, uh, and they didn't. No, the book was okay. uh, the book was pretty well behaved. At, uh, <laughs> although there was not much to talk about and in the early days. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephen Levy uh, definitely um, chronicled our early adventures with uh, the book Hackers. Right. But, um, right. but that was really just the first two or three years. He just was there at the right time to uh, when we were all young kids and kind of kind of nutty. But mm-hmm. uh, so I don't, yeah no I read I read his book and it was it was a fun book. I hope everybody reads it. That's mm-hmm. a Sierra fan. I mean there there's uh, yeah nothing else like it out there. Yeah, well, I think part of the reason the book is so enjoyable for, for, for the fans is thanks to your forward thinking and putting the authors of the games on the boxes back in the day so that growing up, you know, the, the names that like, you know, uh, Scott and Mark, the two guys and the Coles and, um, Christy Marks, Jane Jensen, et cetera, like they became, they became kind of like, you know, celebrities to us in a sense you know we, we just we knew these almost mythical creatures that were creating this magic force that we love so reading the book now because we grew yeah. up seeing the, mm-hmm. the names on the boxes it's like you know the, the, we feel like we know them in a sense um whereas the book uh, or sean's book pays uh gives us a backstage pass i guess yep well and they were all special people i mean mm-hmm. when i would look for a designer i mean that was something i looked for was um somebody who was super into whatever their subject matter is. I mean, when you meet, you know, Lori and Corey Cole, mm-hmm. and they, they live for those games. I mean, they are those games. It's, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, a real extension of their personality. It, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't, um, you know, it was just kind of my core belief was that people had to be passionate about the subject. And I, w- I would describe it as, you know, looking at them to see if their eyes lit up when they talked about something. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, then they shouldn't be building a game. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That passion you know, really bleeds uh, through. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, you meet Al Lowe and you know you've met somebody, or even <laughs> yeah. Roberta. I mean, she's That's for sure. you know, she's mm-hmm. definitely um, a personality. Yeah, you know, when she starts talking about one of her games, uh, the passion comes through. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, may I ask, what thing. was the what was the mindset in, in putting, uh, in kind of advertising the creators on the boxes? Because from what I recall, I mean, I think you guys were, were one of the, if not the first to do that. And, and not a lot of people really even, I don't think they even do it anymore. It was, it was just a very unique and I think quite a genius thing to do. Because like I said, it made us feel even more connected to the product. So what was the mm-hmm. thought behind advertising the creators on the boxes? Well, it was um, a bigger deal than perhaps, you know, people realize in that, um, Behind the scenes, yeah, I guess part of my vision, I, in those days, I used to always compare, compare our business to the book industry. And I would say that, um, you know, great books are only written by one author. And that, 
you know, even yeah, if you were to take two famous authors and have them both work together to collaborate on a book, he had come out with a book that was worse than if one of them did it. So mm-hmm. what I was always looking for was a designer who could um, kind of, in effect, single-handedly create the product and use the other people as their arms and legs, but keep all creative control with the author of the game. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and a, a lot of what I write about in my book is the um, how hard that was to do because everybody on a game project, if you suddenly have 50 people on a project, they all want to put their personal mark on it, and that just muddies the thing. And, mm-hmm. um, and I really wanted to, you know, so a lot of what I was doing was uh, empowering the designers, and mm-hmm. I would support them even uh, when I thought they were wrong because, mm-hmm. you know, it... it you know, if, if, even Roberta Wrong is better than somebody else on the project muddying her vision. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I spent all my time supporting them. And then to the public, I wanted the designers to become um, as known to the buyers as, you know, when you go into a bookstore, you'll look for a Stephen King book or a, um, a Grisham novel or something like that. So it's, um, you know, if I could... Um, and, and they're, they're, you get to know the person's style and what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I mm-hmm. wanted to create um, a brand for, for them and build a following for each of the people. And mm-hmm. we had our Interaction Magazine, which was created to be kind of a, um, a proprietary way of reaching our customers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I ran Sierra kind of like a big fan club in a way, in that uh, behind the scenes I was computing um, – what I would think of as the lifetime value of a customer, kind of like this customer, we think we can get, you know, $150 a year out of. So it's worth spending, you know, 10 or 20 or $30 to promote to that person. And it was expensive to produce uh, Interaction Magazine and send it out four times a year. Mm-hmm. You know, each of those magazines in those days would cost me three or $4. And wow. um, mm-hmm. it was expensive, but mm-hmm. it worked. Yeah, you know, it was mm-hmm, how we yeah. made the designers known because, I mean, even if they created great games, if nobody knew about them. And, mm-hmm. and in those days, you know, what, one of my philosophies was uh, if I could motivate um, 10 people to walk into a store and ask for the product, then the uh, retailer has to carry the product. Right. Uh, now, I mean, you know, in today's world, the, it's a different world because, you know, products aren't sold at retail. They're sold on, um, you know, Steam or something. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but in those days, it wasn't even big chain stores. It was kind of ma pop chain stores. And the purchase decision was made in a store. So, you know, it transitioned from the beginning when we had just strictly what I called ma pop retailers to toward the end when we were selling Costco and Target and Walmart. And that was a different business. But mm-hmm. so Sierra transitioned through the years as the industry transitioned. Mm-hmm. Well, your your plan absolutely worked because it gave for me a, a real life connection to the game. Like I I love Roger Wilco. I think he's a great character, but I want to meet the two guys from Andromeda because clearly yeah. they are the mm-hmm. coolest people in the world. And so having that connection gave more depth to the game experience altogether. Yeah, it, I mean, it, and it wasn't you know it wasn't just a marketing hype. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Mark and Scott, if you meet them in real life, the uh, two guys from Andromeda are um, really characters in real life. I mean, mm-hmm. Scott is super abrasive and uh, funny <laughs> and sarcastic, and uh, Mark was so uh, conservative and solid and 
when you put the two together in a room and get them bouncing off of each other, that was uh, that was kind of the magic behind Space Quest. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's why a lot of these you know sequels, when you take away the original designer and just keep the characters, but have somebody that doesn't really um, well, it's different. I mean, yeah, you could switch. Uh, you know, take a Stephen King book and have another author try to write his book, and it's not going to work. Right. So yeah, um, right. So it was, it was real. I mean, it was really, uh, and it was unique in that, you know, even on a movie, when somebody tries to do a movie, it's hard to control it and bring through the original uh, vision That's of right. the person who created the story. So that was uh, that was something unique that Sierra did that was uh, a job we had to fight every, every day. Mm-hmm. So. Do you keep in touch with any of the old developers? Like any of the other, like, uh, Aldo, the Coles, or two guys? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, none of them, other than maybe every five or ten years, we'll email each other, but uh, really not, other than Al. Al Lowe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I um, still will play golf. Uh, we're playing this Friday, <laughs> and and he's still funny and still a great guy. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's really the only and, – and I don't know why. I think some of it is just geography. Roberta mm-hmm. and I, um, at post-retirement, uh, lived in Mexico six months a year and on a boat six months a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just never physically, you know, in the U.S. or around where people can find us. Do you keep your ear to the ground? Like, do you uh, do you take interest in, uh, you know, the the Coles have since uh, crowdfunded a game which is related to Quest for Glory, and uh, the two guys have sort of created a game that's kind of a spiritual succession from Space Quest and stuff like that. Do you uh, do you keep up on these projects? Well, those two I do only because. Uh, you know, I, I bought into the Kickstarter on Space Quest long ago mm-hmm. and um, received recently, I guess, the beta test for their Space Quest game. Mm-hmm. But I haven't dug into it. So, um, but no, I haven't talked to Mark and Scott, uh, God, in 20 years. And oh, wow. um, Corey Cole, I've swapped a few emails with here in the, just the last few days because mm-hmm. of my book. And, um, he read it, and um, I mentioned in there that uh, he and I never got along, which, uh, oh. although that's kind of, you know, I, I was, uh, Corey is always a really a highly opinionated guy, mm-hmm. and we would bump heads from time to time, but uh, my rule was always to support my designers, and I, I mentioned in the book that I always had kind of a, a pecking order where at the top of the chart was the designers and I treated them like gods and it didn't matter. They could, they could irritate me all they wanted. I didn't mm-hmm. care. As long as their game sold, they're heroes. And if their mm-hmm. game didn't sell, then, you know, they're just a nice guy that used to work there. Mm-hmm. But, um, right. Corey was, uh, yeah, he was one of my favorite guys, even though, uh, even though we were very unlikely to ever go out to dinner, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, what really counted is Corey and Laurie did amazing games and, I remember on their game that it was originally called Heroes Quest. That's and right. then we hit some sort of trademark infringement and we had to change the name to Quest for Glory. And that mm-hmm. kind of hurt the series. That's it, right. Um, but, which was kind of sad because it was a truly great game and I wish we could have called it Heroes Quest. And probably I should have fought harder on that. On uh, Space Quest, we also hit a. Um, trademark conflict uh somebody had a board game that they'd never even actually published <laughs> but um he uh, we fought with that guy for years and i finally wound up paying him off to um let us have the space quest name 
So oh, wow. at the, there was a lot of those kind of behind the scenes battles that were, you know, it was part of going to work every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of all these quests, so you guys at one point you find yourself with, with King's quest and space quest and then, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you kind of had the, the idea that crime dramas and police media in Hollywood and such was kind of big at the time. So you decided the market could probably use, you know, a, a police quest game. And, and so you brought in uh-huh. Jim Walls and, and then to follow that up, you know, you saw that the market probably could use an RPG or Sierra could use an RPG. So you brought in the Coles. Um, I was wondering, was there ever like a quest title or, or any other title for that matter that you wanted to produce or almost produce, but for whatever reason it, it didn't happen? Well, let's see. I, I, what, I, well, I always wanted to do something uh, legal and uh, mm. hooked up with uh, Vincent Bugliosi, who did uh, the Manson trial. He was the uh, mm. prosecuting attorney. And oh. um, so I actually contracted him to do a uh, kind of a law quest type game about lawyers. Oh, wow. wow. But um, then when I started looking for somebody to work with him as far as a team, and because uh, he, he was very non-computer. In fact, when, when, when I went into his house, he had uh, big yellow notepads, literally yellow notepads filled with scribbling, filling the entryway of his house. He, mm-hmm. um, he was, not a, was not a computer guy, but I knew that uh, he, would, uh, he would work good with our guys to do a good game. And, um, but it never came together. Um, I mentioned John Travolta. We wanted to do this stuff with him, but that would have been more of an exercise. I wanted something to answer uh, Jane Fonda because um, mm-hmm. she had the workout tapes at the time. Mm-hmm. Who else? What else did we want to do? I always wanted to do something with uh, the Titanic. And I oh. uh, remember talking to Ballard, the, the guy that did that, or uh, I guess my attorney was his attorney. Who else? Um I don't know. There weren't a lot of categories. I mean, generally, if we wanted to do it, we found a way to do it. Although a lot of it would come from me meeting somebody who was passionate about something who uh, I thought could deliver. And ultimately, that became our acquisition strategy more than it became, um, you know, rather than hiring because, um, you know, like I wanted into the board game category. So uh, that was impressions. I wanted into race car games. And that was Papyrus. Uh, I wanted into kids' education software, and that was Bright Star. Then I wanted a golf game and went after Headgate. So um, a lot of what we did flowed from uh, product categories I was trying to get into. And then trying to find somebody that was already there that did it really well that I could bring into the Sierra umbrella and uh, give them the kind of distribution and sales that they didn't have before. My favorite division was always Dynamics. I, um, mm-hmm. those guys are so creative, especially Jeff Tennell and, yeah. uh, the work that they did on uh, 3d pinball and, um, oh, the incredible machine series. I, we, we did some very, very cool products. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. the, uh, they, they did some adventure games that weren't so good with Willie Beamish and, uh, although I, it wasn't bad, it just mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't what they did best. Um, mm-hmm. But then the yeah the Aces series and even the Earth Siege some of the robot stuff yeah well there there were some cool products that they did there that um, yeah I would always enjoy going down to uh, Dynamics to see their products or going to Papyrus to see the race games I was never really into the um, 
uh, products that it was impressions was doing. They were doing kind of a, uh, I, want, I wanted to, uh, something to compete with um, a civilization or some city and uh, right. went after impressions and they had a product called Caesar that did really well for us. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, and what else? Well, then over in Europe, you know, our, our, we were doing over half our revenue in Europe. And um, that came through, I acquired a company called Cocktail Vision. Yeah. And the other the part of that one that made sense was that they were number one in Europe in education. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that was, yeah, it, in Europe, all the education is um, curriculum-based and everybody, you know, every third grader studying exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. And it's very different than the way they do it in the U.S. So that was... Um, yeah, it was a good acquisition for us. That's really cool. Speaking of kind of globetrotting, uh, you'd, you'd mentioned how much time you spent traveling. And I, I was just wondering, uh, uh, from what I understand, you traveled to Japan to, to obviously get, you know, Sierra Online Japan going for the, the PC-98. And I was just wondering um, what you recall as far as how they received adventure games. And uh, as kind of a, a bonus question, um, if you were, or how, how much you recall the, the Police Quest 2 getting a complete remake, uh, <laughs> like a, a graphical remake where they, they took Police Quest 2 and, and changed all the characters, I, I think to appeal more to the Japanese market. Uh, the end result was fantastic and also kind of bonkers. So I was wondering <laughs> if you recall that and how you feel about it. No, you know more about it than I do. I um, <laughs> I, I mostly think of uh, Japan as um, massive losses. We um, when we were trying, well, we the problem was that the Windows machines and DOS machines weren't really sold over there. They had the PC ninety eight hundred one, which was kind of a um, not really DOS and not really Windows, and the hardware wasn't. Uh, well, I guess because of the character set. And we had trouble getting our games onto it. I think we did get some running on it. And I didn't remember that we did something custom with Police Quest. Um, that's funny. That's, that's, uh, it'd be fun to see that and see what they did. But we, we never got any serious amount of revenue out of Japan. Where we made money was taking the Game Arts games, um, a company in Japan that we published for, uh, Thexter and Selfie so, were yeah. really oh, super yeah. successful mm-hmm. for us in the early days. And um, and somehow I got the license to Frogger. And Frogger we sold a ton of copies of. Um, but I, you know, I don't remember ever getting, you know, the, the story about um, Japan that was kind of interesting was uh, Roberta, uh, you know, I always considered her my partner. And um, she went to all the business meetings in the early days and going to Japan was kind of cool. But uh, in those days, um, the Japanese were, I guess you'd call it chauvinistic or something, Mm -hmm. but uh, they wouldn't uh, do business with her in a room. And uh, Mm. yeah, our Japanese agent was kind of like, um, you know, first he showed up at the hotel and tried to convince me to leave Roberta behind. And then she came, and in the meetings, nobody would look at her, talk to her, and she'd say things, and they kind of brush her off quickly. Mm, and wow. um, yeah, this was how oh, that would have been thirty-five years ago. So the world's changed a lot in thirty-five years, I assume. I don't know. I haven't been to Japan lately, <laughs> but um, but it was uh, yeah. So I, I remember that part of it, and that that was kind of a struggle uh, at the time trying to do business there. 
and that uh, well, and there was never in, in Japan in those days. It seemed like there was new machines coming often, and people didn't mind owning a machine that uh, only had one or two games on it, as long as it was kind of a really good hit game. And so there would ne never seem to be one particular machine that had enough of installed base for us to uh, target and make mm. a lot of money on. Hmm. It was uh, it was a tough market for us. I think we tried and we lost money for like 10 years and mm. ultimately kind of gave up on selling our products in Japan. So I'm surprised that we did a police quest. Probably it was a license deal. Somebody called and said, you know, we'll do all the work and we'll just give you some money. That was right. uh, that was an easy decision. Mm -hmm. so it was probably one of those. But Place Quest was a big hit for us, and SWAT was a big hit for us. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we were very happy. Definitely do, do yourself a favor and, and Google uh, Police Quest to Japanese when we're done. And, and uh, you might just find that it looks so fantastically <laughs> bananas that, that the loss for 10 years might even be worth it. for. <laughs> yeah. I'll try to find it on YouTube, see if I can find like a video walkthrough or something. That'd be fun to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll love well, it. Well, uh, our son wound up... Uh, because he enjoyed, we, we had a younger son who at the time uh, loved Japan and would love going over with us. And he wound up uh, going over and being getting a four-year degree in college uh, from Japan at a Japanese university and became an engineer in Japan. There's a, a funny picture in my book of his college graduation where he's kind of the only, because uh, he's so much taller than a lot of the Japanese and he's a gringo versus uh, all the Japanese. <laughs> and he went over not really speaking Japanese and learned it, became fluent, and um, yeah, loved Japan. He's back working for Intuit now after a few years working for Amazon, but he did well. Oh, that's great. That picture reminds me of, uh, I think it was Bill Murray in Lost in Translation, where he's in an elevator and he's just towering over everyone else. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite movies. That, uh, that was a good one. That, um, yep. I had a few questions from the community mailbag to ask you, but I think we've covered a lot of them already. Yeah, um, but no. there are there are a couple I think uh, I might uh, uh, we might still want to cover here. Uh, this one comes from uh, Tim McBrien, who asks, uh, "Which of your projects is most dear to your heart?" Oh, for me, um, well, I mean, obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, the Sierra Network. Because mm -hmm. Sierra was called online systems before I even started it. I mean, I really was always passionate about uh, creating an alternate universe and having you know everybody play a role in it, and um, you know, kind of the whole massively multiplayer game experience. And the closest I ever got to it was the Sierra Network and a product called the Realm. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, that was something I had fought for from the very beginning, and. Um, yeah, uh, so and it was just uh, such a technological achievement that uh, how could you not love it? And the technology for it went into all of our games. And I think after, oh, at the beginning, all of our games were supporting multiplayer. And uh, then the Internet came along and that kind of changed the whole game. But uh, mm -hmm. for, yeah. for what it was at the time, it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um. One question from Jamie Retz Bosworth. Do you have any regrets about anything while working in the gaming industry? Mm. Do I have any regrets? I mean, I regret having sold the company. That's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that part's depressing. I shouldn't have sold it. I should have kept running it. Um, I regret the early years when um, I was so uh, 
immature and there was so much partying and stuff that went on. And I think about, you know, how much smarter I could have been and um, how much better the company could have been run at the beginning. But then mm-hmm. again, you know, it didn't come through in the products. I mean, the products were great, uh, but we almost went out of business a couple of times. You know, mm-hmm. if I could go back and do it again, I'd have been smarter. And we, you know, in 83, we um, diverted into doing video game cartridges and almost took the company under. Right. We, um, you know, we produced cartridges for TI-99 and COM-64 and Atari 800 and um, oh, even the Atari 2600. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, carts were, I don't know, $15 a piece or something. You had to buy them 10000 at a time. Oh, so we wow. took uh, venture capital and bought lots and lots of cartridge inventory, and then the market blew up and uh, kind of took the company under with it. And we were mm-hmm. down to, uh, we laid off in one day from 130 people down to 30 people. And mm. um, we're paying them on our credit cards. So, um, you know, I look back at that decision and, and, and also it kind of kind of hurt personally and that yeah. uh, to get all that venture capital, we'd given up a lot of the company so that by the time we sold it, Roberta and I only owned a small piece of the company. So mm-hmm. that was, uh, but in, in terms of products now, I mean, I, I talk a little in my book about um, Outpost, which um, you know, was uh, kind of the only project that ever became kind of a project uh, from hell, kind of mm. where... Um, it looked beautiful. We kept piling in money, but um, it never really came together. And then finally, we shipped it, and um, and people didn't love it. And that was very frustrating, you know, because um, you know I kind of came off the villain for uh, rushing the product out the door. Uh, but then my side of the story was, well, gosh, you know, we're triple over budget and. Um, project was out of control and I don't know, I wasn't sure another year of development would have got us to a fun game. So that project was kind of one of the, probably the, the only project I could really remember that uh, got totally out of control. I had other mistakes, uh, Phantasmagoria 2, um, you know, that was a place where we swapped the designer between Phantasmagoria 1 and Phantasmagoria 2. And, um, and it kind of shows in the product, you know, where, yeah. um, they have such different personalities when you play the two products. And when, when you do that, people uh, don't forgive you. You know, it kind of sends mm-hmm. a message. Uh, uh, you can't really trust uh, a sequel. And, right. um, uh. you know, that happens in film industry all the time where, you know, somebody does Halloween, they do Halloween 2, and one's a hit, and you buy the second one, and it may or may not be a hit. Mm-hmm. So, um so, yeah, there was a few of those mistakes along the way. But in general, I'm pretty happy with everything we did. Mm, good. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Kennerly Rowe asks, what is the best game proposal you've ever had to turn down? <laughs> oh, I don't know that there was ever a good game proposal I turned down. <laughs> it, uh, you know, uh, Well, probably. I mean, it would be um, um, uh, doing, uh, uh, what was it? Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. um, or Wolfenstein 3D, I think it was. Yeah, when uh, the id guys came to see me and had uh, they had done Commander Keen and uh, they they wanted me to market Doom and uh, actually not Doom, it was Wolfenstein 3D. Yeah, I just talked to John Carmack and he 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 talked he kind of he said that he has uh, 
uh, perfectly uh, perfect memory and remembers mm -hmm. every minute of everything. And, uh, and so he was telling me the story of what happened because I didn't remember it well. But uh, apparently he demonst uh, demonstrated uh, Wolfenstein 3D for me. And uh, we came very close to acquiring its software, but uh, mm -hmm. didn't. And part of what um, slowed me down was that I really didn't like uh, violent games and still mm -hmm. don't. I, um, you know, the concept of uh, giving kids a game in which they grab a rifle and run through a building and shoot at people seems um, inappropriate to me, you mm -hmm. should say. Right. So, yeah. um, but... But then again, you look at Wolfenstein 3D or Zoom or Quake, and you say, "Gosh, mm -hmm. this uh, there's a there's a market for this product." <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, so what do I know? You know, I guess uh, that would probably be the big fish that got away. Mm -hmm. Is I should have uh, should have bought I should have swallowed my uh, opinion and just bought uh, id software and marketed the product. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, to follow that one up, Ben Mulholland asks. What was the worst pitch for a game you ever heard? Um, all of them, almost like every day. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, we um, we we were pretty. Uh, although, actually, you know, I I could be talked into stuff. Like when when Mark and Scott pitched me on uh, Space Quest, I said no. And uh, and then they were persistent, and I said, "Well, go build it a little demo and uh, mm -hmm. show me." And uh, the second I saw the characters, I mean, I suddenly fell in love, and, mm -hmm. uh, and that was it. But uh, no, I you know a lot of people would send in uh, sample games and stuff by by mail. You know, in those days, you know, you'd open the mailbag, and uh, I would have uh, somebody open it and do kind of the first round smell test of games and then bring to me the ones that were worth looking at. And uh, nothing would ever come to me that was worth looking at. Once in a while, I'd go back to them and I'd say, well, let's, let's see what came in the mail because I could do some product. But uh, mm -hmm. no, it was all garbage. Was, uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, no, it's, it's tough. I had, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I didn't see. I'm trying to think if there was anything that particularly stood out as being um, a bad product. I mean, there were um, now there were a lot of close calls. We almost bought Westwood Studios with uh, oh, Command wow, and Conquer. Wow. Wow. Yeah, hmm. that was down to I thought we had the deal done. And um, I don't remember why it fell apart. Um, well, and then Broderbund, we actually announced we were merging with them and then that oh. fell apart. Wow. So there were some there were some deals that uh, came yeah. very close that um, should have gone, and uh, and didn't. Wow! So wow! Um, wow! That that's really amazing to think about. Like fantasy alternate universes. What, what if those had gone yeah. through? Those are some. Those I wish I had done big... like uh, Blizzard, you know, something like yeah. that with uh, mm -hmm. uh, Diablo and some of those games, but. Um, well, I, yeah, I don't understand. I still don't know how Davidson managed to get them, and I didn't. But uh, mm -hmm. oh well, twenty twenty <laughs> hindsight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I guess uh, one last from the mailbag, and this is uh, one of the hard questions since we have you on the hot seat. Uh, Tim Byrne asks, "Do you like cheese?" Oh, do I like cheese? <laughs> uh, you know, I have always had uh, weight problems, unfortunately. And uh, there was uh, like two years when I ate nothing but meat and cheese. Mm. And uh, during that time, I lost 85 pounds. 
and was actually looking really good, but boy, I was I sick of cheese. I never wanted to eat <laughs> cheese again. But, uh, or or you know, see a steak, and I had, so it um, yeah it kind of backfired in that now when I think about meat and cheese, I think about that year of only meat and cheese. And all I can think about is give me some spaghetti. <laughs> but, oh, oh well, that's great. Best uh, for a better answer to that one. So we know it worked, but uh, but that's it. So the answer, I guess, would be no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, I hope that answered it. Um, you know, I've I've got one last one for you, mate, and and we'll let you get on with your day after giving us so much just amazing stories here. Yeah. Even though I was even though I was on this podcast, I, I want to probably re-listen to it a few times. Probably oh, cringe yeah. at my own voice, yeah. but still. Yeah. Um. So we uh, we hear tell of of many good times from from Sierra, whether it's the the golden days, the early days, whatever it may be. Um. I was just wondering if you could give us one behind the scenes story that stands out to you as particularly humorous or endearing or even debaucherous well i'm trying to think i mean all the all the good debaucherous stories steve levy told his book hackers that um no i you know what what's not been told we had uh, when roberta and i moved into a new house we had um, an amazing party we just kind of invited everybody in the industry and wound up with over 800 people that showed up in one day and that was kind of a wild time. It, uh, everybody from the industry, everybody. Um, yeah, it was uh, kind of a big house on a river that we just built. We were doing a housewarming party. And um, I can't think of anything, though, particularly interesting out of that. I mean, there's nothing, you know, behind the scenes, we're actually pretty boring people. It, uh, <laughs> I mean, those days we were a lot more fun. But even then, you know, it... Um, most of the fun happened, uh, we had a um, house in town. Most of the programmers we hired, in those days, it was a different world in that um, game programming wasn't considered a business. You know, even business uh, programming wasn't really a business. It was, there was no uh, computer science degrees. So um, right. when it came time to hire programmers, um, nobody working for a real company would have ever quit a job to go to work for a silly game company. So who I was hiring as programmers were kind of kids from uh, 17 to 21. And um, even, you know, Rourke Wygant, I forget which game he did, but he was one of our first programmers. And his parents flew into town with him to uh, introduce him to me and look me in the eye and say, you are going to take good care of my kid, aren't you? And um, yeah, we didn't tell him that we were going to move him into a house with, uh, I think, nine other uh, young kids. And it was kind of <laughs> like a frat house type environment. And uh, that was, yeah, I mean, imagine taking, well, plus we paid well. So suddenly you've got mm -hmm. all these uh, kids running around that are um, literally kids um, with a lot of money and a lot of um, a lot of fun. And and we were, I mean, we, we weren't working normal hours. I mean, people kind of worked when they were in the mood and. Um, you know, and I tried to, uh, you know, it was more being a ringmaster than being a boss in the very early days, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it was, it, I mean, it worked. It was, it was what was appropriate to the time, but, uh, by the end, you know, the Sierra was a very different company and that, um, you know, we had desks and chairs and work hours and, you know, all the stuff that comes with being a real company, but, uh, but the fun days were the beginning days. Mm 
I just wanted to say thank you so much for creating uh, a legacy that will last, has lasted for many generations and will continue to last for more generations, uh, entertaining and educating. I'm, I'm the type of person that wasn't really that great at school. And if it weren't for playing your games, I don't think I would have been able to excel in the fields I've excelled at now at being able to run my own business as well, uh, was influenced by everything you and, and Roberta had done. So I, I just want to mm-hmm. say thank you on behalf of myself and the whole community that has mm-hmm. been influenced by everything you have done. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. From childhood me, young adulthood me, present me, mm-hmm. and the entire community that spawned because mm-hmm. of uh, your games that you and Roberta were behind. Well, thank you. I mean, I uh, thanks for keeping uh, I know, keeping all the old memories alive and keeping the games alive. That mm-hmm. means a lot to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here, here, and I'll, I'll just, I'll just tip my hat in, in that pool, and, and also say thank you to and Roberta for for giving me just priceless memories with my father that I'm now creating with my son, and one day my son will be able to say my father and his father before him played DC, and uh, you know, <laughs> it'll go a long way, you know, what Sierra means to our family and, and to so many people. So from the bottom of my heart as well, thank you, mate. Yeah, thank you. That was great, Ken. Thank you for being there. So good to hear your voice. Thank you, and talk to you later. All right, mates, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as, as we have. My God, it's uh, it's been surreal and, and just, I, I'm almost at a loss for words, which is rare. But thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for listening. Check us out on Facebook. We're a page. We're a group. Facebook.com slash Classic Gamers Guild. Uh, you can send us an email if you'd like. Uh, we're at mail at classicgamersguild.com. You can find us on Instagram, which is at CGG Podcast. Find us on Twitter. Do us a tweet at the CG Guild. Check us out on Patreon. And a huge thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Makes this show possible, uh, especially those in the extra special tier, which would be Mark Fillion and Jay Holmes. So yeah, thank you guys for making this show possible. Thank you to everyone who listens. We love you all very much. And don't do a murder.